This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Deacon Matt Woodley. So, Blessed Epiphany, the most underrated and under-commercialized feast day of the church year that could be argued, and every Epiphany reading, the Gospel reading, is about the Magi from Matthew chapter 2, the only place where it's found in the Bible. And so you may wonder, what does that have to do with the story of the Bible? What does that have to do with Jesus? What does that have to do with anything? Well, we'll get to that, but let me start by telling you another story, a contemporary story. So 10 years ago, the government of Colombia had a problem. They had a lot of rebels living out in the jungles, causing havoc and destroying things and carrying guns and threatening people. And so they wanted to convince these rebels to lay down their guns and come home. So they had a very unique approach. They hired an ad agency. And they asked the ad agency to run some ads directed at the rebels to convince them to lay down their arms and come home. So they ran a bunch of ad campaigns like this one. The first one they ran. They strung thousands of Uh, Christmas lights up in the jungles and they were on a motion sensor and so when the rebels would go by the lights would come on and a recording would come on saying if Christmas can come to the jungle you can come home over 300 rebels demobilized and came home another ad they shot skylights into the sky with the ad the message this Christmas follow the light that will guide you to your family and freedom. My, fra- my favorite ad campaign was when they, they took 7,000 translucent little globes and they stuffed them with gifts and with messages and with lights and they put them on the river. So as the rebels were going down the river, these translucent lights they saw coming towards them these beautiful globes on the river. Well, who could resist that? So they opened them, and inside were messages. We love you. We want you to come home. Some of them even had messages from their mothers begging them to come home. The guy in charge of this ad campaign said this, when you see all these lights floating down the river, slowly floating towards you, you can't escape the thought of this is a beautiful thing, and you're drawn to it. Now, I love that story because it's just such a great story, but I love that story because in one sense, that story is a picture of the story of the entire Bible. It's not the only way to say it, but it is one way to say What is the narrative that runs through the whole Bible? You see, because the Bible is not just a bunch of stories. It is a story that has a bunch of stories. And the church has always said that there is a thread. There is a theme that runs through the entire story of the Bible. Let me put it this way. And again, it's not the only way to put it, but it's one way to put it. God is drawing the world back to himself. Of course, as Christians, we would say in and through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, through his church, God is drawing the world back to himself, and he asks us to join him. 
And when I say God, I mean the triune God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community of outpouring love. And when I say drawing the world back to himself, I mean that God has taken the initiative to go out in front of us and draw us back to him, otherwise we would never come home. And when I say the world, I don't just mean me and you, but I mean all the nations of the earth. And he asks us to join him. So how do the Magi fit into that story? Well, they do. Very important part to play in this story. But in order to get how the Magi fit, let me give you a brief synopsis of the whole Bible. So I'm going to use the stage as a, as a timeline of the Bible from the book of Genesis from the very beginning to the book of Revelation, the very end. And I've done this before, but I think it's a really great way to capture the whole Bible. And let me start at the end. Let me start in Revelation chapter 7, the last book of the Bible. An old man named John, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he has a vision of where all human history is headed. And he gives us a little picture of it. He says, after this, I looked, and behold, in Revelation chapter 7, 7, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they're crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, and they shall hunger no more, for the Lamb will be in their midst, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now, when the Bible uses the word nations, it doesn't mean countries like we understand it today. It's referring to distinct people groups, distinct language cultural groups. So if you break that down, depending on how you count it, there's 7,000 to 15,000 people groups on the planet right now. What God is saying here is not that every single person on the planet will be saved, because we know from Scripture that that's not going to happen, because people can reject the good news of Jesus, but he's saying that the gospel will be preached to every nation, every people group will have a chance to respond, and heaven will be represented by people from every tribe and language and tongue. It goes on to say, John actually goes on to say, so if this is Revelation 7, he actually goes on to say that there will be a tree whose leaves will be for the healing of the nations. What a beautiful image. We know about the nations. We know about the corruption of the nations. We know about the violence of the nations. We know about the violence, the brokenness of the nations. But there is going to be a time for the healing of the nations. That is where it's all headed. Now, it's a really surprise ending because if you go over to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 11, there's a story that we call the story of Babel, which is a story of the disintegration of the nations, a story of the breaking of the nations, a story of the unraveling and scattering of the nations. And if you read chapter 11, verse 9, the very end of that story, it says, therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them, all the nations, over the face of all the earth. So they're scattered. So how is God going to get from here over to there. How is that going to happen? That's the thread that runs through the Bible. And actually, if you go over to Genesis chapter 3, there's a clue, there's a hint that God says he's going to send a redeemer, he's going to send a savior, someone who's going to set us free. And we don't know a lot about that. It's just a little clue. And we wonder, well, who is that savior? Who is that redeemer? Let's get him on the stage and let's get this done. And God says, well, no, actually, I'm going to work a lot more slower than that because I'm going to work in and through human history. I'm going to work in and through the brokenness of the human history, and I am going to bring it about through human history. 
So what he does is he calls an old man and an old woman, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is really old. How old is he? Well, in the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, he says, it says he's as good as dead. That's how it describes Abraham. And how old is Sarah? Well, it says, it describes her, she is past the age. They're both really old. And yet God chooses them. And he tells them in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. I will bless you. Why? Why them? It's purely, it's by grace. They didn't win a contest. They didn't achieve this. God blesses them because God is a gracious God, and God has always worked by grace. Some people think, well, the Old Testament is that story where God is mean, and then the New Testament is a different story. God suddenly gets nice, and we suddenly have grace in Jesus. God has always been gracious. God has always been filled with grace. So he blesses them, and he tells them, I will, I will make in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's that word for nations. That's that word for people groups. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. What a remarkable statement. God moves small, local, particular. And then, boom, he goes out. Huge, global, universal to all the nations of the earth. So the election of Abraham and Sarah is to go out and bless all the nations. That's how God moves and works. So where is that theme through the Bible? Well, actually, I could point to dozens, if not hundreds, of examples of how this thread works its way through the Bible. Let me just talk to, let me just mention a couple of them. So over here, we have Genesis 12. Let's fast forward over to Psalm 72. If you open your Bible right in the middle, you'll be about in this book of Psalms. Psalm 72 is the psalm that you just heard, that we read together. And notice what it says. It says that kings of Tarshish and of the... Well, first of all, it's talking about a king. It's talking about a redeemer talking about a Genesis 3-like figure, somebody that's going to save us. This is not just a political king. This is someone who is going to bring, judge the poor justly, someone who's going to bring justice and righteous, someone who's going to bring in human flourishing. And it's a messianic king. So it says in verse 11, he says, May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Verse 17, may his name endure forever. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. You see the theme. Let me give you just one other example. And again, I, we could actually point to hundreds of them, hundreds of specific, specific examples. The other reading you heard, Isaiah chapter 60, which the church has chosen for Epiphany Sunday. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. All peoples will come to you. So we turn to Matthew chapter 1, okay? 
Psalm 72, Isaiah 60, Matthew chapter 1. The first verse of Matthew chapter 1, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Son of David is referring to like Psalm 72, the messianic king. Son of Abraham is pointing back to Genesis 12. You see how it, the plot, the threads, they get tied together in Jesus? So you're reading the book, the, you open up the first verse of the New Testament, and we're supposed to be thinking, wait a minute, this isn't just a new story. This is the same story. This is coming together. It's coming together in Jesus. And then you read the genealogy of Jesus, and you think, this is boring. This is why I don't read the Bible. And yet, in that genealogy, there's some surprises in that genealogy. One of them is, is that there's four women in that genealogy, and those women are from the nations of the earth. They're non-Jewish. They're outsiders. As if to say, from the very beginning, Jesus has this in his life, in his person. So now we get to the Magi. So now you can see, or we can see, how they fit. So who were they? They were probably an elite group of scholars who studied astronomy and astrology and dreams. They probably came from Babylon or Persia, where we know at the time there was a large Jewish community. So what would they have learned from their Jewish neighbors? What would they have picked up? Well, one of the things they would have picked up is the big story of the Bible. Another thing they might have picked up is an ancient prophecy, an ancient prophecy from the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 24, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Hundreds of years before the Magi even appeared on the scene, there was this prophecy that a star would arise, a star would come, and a ruler would come with that star. So in verse 2, we read that they say, we, who have, we, we have come, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. We are seekers. We are on a quest. We are on a mission. If the Magi were alive today, I have no doubt that they would have a reality show, a travel show on the Travel Channel, because they come and there's this, this great adventure they're seekers. They're on a quest. But here's the thing in this story. Underneath, all around, before their quest, God is on a quest. God is on a mission. They are not the ultimate seekers. God is the ultimate seeker. And he's seeking them. He is drawing them. When Jesus came, he said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. He said, when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. I will draw people to me. Heard a story this week about a, a Muslim man. He was an Iranian man who was uh, a small-time criminal involved in the black market. He, uh, for some reason that he didn't even understand, he was fascinated by the cross of Jesus. He said he had a cross ring. He had a cross necklace. He had a T-shirt on that said, I did this for you, and there was a big cross on it. He had no idea what it all meant. 
He just thought it was interesting. He thought it was cool. So one day, he meets a Christian. He says, I see you're really interested in the cross. What's that all about? He says, I don't know. I just think it's kind of cool. And the guy explains to him who Jesus is and what the cross meant and what Jesus actually did for him. And this Muslim man said, oh, I get it. And he said, my heart melted because I understood what was going on in my life and what was drawing me like a magnet. I was being drawn to Jesus, drawn to Jesus. That's what the Magi are experiencing. So you read this story, there's this star, and then there's Holy Scripture, this quote from the book of the Old Testament prophet in verse 6, you, O Bethlehem, and in the land of Judah, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, about where he's supposed to be born. And then there's the star again leading them. You see, this isn't just natural signs. God is drawing them to the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 9, they open their treasures and they give them to Jesus. Now, what are these treasures? There's probably a connection with the treasures to maybe certain events of the life of Jesus, but there's something else going on in these treasures. And you heard it in Isaiah chapter 60. It says, The abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. The very same verse is quoted in Revelation chapter 1. The wealth of the nations will come into the kingdom of God will come to the Lord Jesus. They are bringing their wealth, their gifts to the Lord Jesus. It's a fulfillment of that prophecy. Now here's where it gets really interesting for us. Because if this is God's mission, he's still doing it. He's still working it. The big story of the Bible is still unfolding today. God is still drawing the nations to himself. Let me tell you about one of our missionaries, Father Gregory Whitaker in Phnom Penh. He told a story, perhaps you recall it, a couple years ago, he told a story about a young man named Mopt, who's a 24-year-old man who comes from the Benong people group. That's the nation he comes from. He comes from the country of Cambodia, but from the people group, the nation of Benong. It's a small, tribal, we would say as Christians, unreached people group. They have a spirituality. They're open to God. They believe in the spiritual world. They're probably further ahead of our culture in many ways than that. But they have no contact with the Bible, no contact with Jesus, no contact with the Christian, no contact with church. So when he was 12 years old, Mopt met a follower of Jesus, and he was given a Bible. His parents said, don't read that thing. Mopt said, okay, I won't. But it just sat there, and he thought, uh, what am I going to do? I think I should read this. So he opened it up, and he said, he said, he actually prayed. He said, I already have my own gods. I'm not looking for another God. I don't need another God. I got enough gods. But Jesus, if you are the true God, make it plain to me. 
He started reading scripture. Nine months it took him to read through the whole Bible. He said that when he was reading it, it was so vivid. It was like he didn't know whether he was dreaming, watching it, or whether he was reading it. He said the story of the nation of Israel was so much like the story of his people. There were so many connection points, so many redemptive analogies, threads. He said, I could relate so much when the Bible talked about sin. And then he said this, it seemed like I was in the Bible and there was a man who was God who spoke to me, Jesus. And then I knew that I had found him, the true God, Jesus. This mission of God to draw people to himself. See, here's one of my, the most fun things about my job. I get to talk to people that see this happening all over the world, and it is amazing. Now, there's a lot of sad stories. There's a lot of broken stories. There's a lot of non-success stories, believe me. But the amount of stories of what God is doing to draw people to himself. There's a man named David Garrison who has a PhD from the University of Chicago that traveled 250,000 miles around the globe and did 1,000 face-to-face interviews, 1,000 face-to-face interviews, interviews with Muslim background followers of Jesus. And here's what he reached. He reached a startling conclusion. He said, Muslim background believers in Jesus are leading other Muslims to Christ in staggering numbers. He estimates there are two to seven million Muslim background followers of Jesus in the world today. This is something he says that is unprecedented in world history. And Garrison says that, here's a quote, he said, something has always prepared their hearts. When they did hear a clear explanation of the good news about Jesus, they said, yes, that's for me. Their heart was prepared let me tell you a story about another one of our missionaries that we support, a young woman named Caitlin, who's working in the Greek Isles with the refugees that are streaming in from Africa and the Middle East. There's a story that she told me, a man named Muhammad, a Muslim father who had fled from Syria. He was in the camps, and while he was in the camps, he had a dream about Jesus. And in his dream, Jesus said this, do not worry about your country. I'm going to come back and bless your country. I love your country. I'm not finished with your country. And then Jesus pointed to some guns, and he said, see these things that man has made? I am coming back to destroy these things. Muhammad, wait for me. He said it was so vivid. He said he, got, he woke up and he had goosebumps all over his arms. It wasn't just like a dream, it was like a vision. Eventually, the man accepted Jesus. David Garrison concludes this after doing these 1,000 interviews with Muslim background followers of Jesus. He says, they were not persuaded by logical doctrine or a better civilization, nor were they persuaded, I might add, by cultural imperialism or our superior way of life. He said, they were persuaded by an encounter with Jesus. And then he goes on to say, sometimes we Christians feel we take Jesus to people. What we forget sometimes is that we're attesting to a living Christ who continues to break into people's lives, dreams, visions, and prayers. God 
is drawing people to himself. All the nations of the earth. In the book of Revelation, there will be a tree running through the city of God. There will be a tree, a river running through the city of God and a tree planted by it whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. We know about corruption. We know about violence. We hear stories. I have a friend in Nigeria who said, Matt, do you see everything in this country that doesn't work? The horrible roads, the horrible schools, the horrible medical care that we have. Everything we need to fix our problems is in this country. We have the money. It's in somebody's bank account. Somebody has taken the money to fix all these problems. We know about corruption. But God says one day there's going to come, Jesus says, I am going to come, and there will be the healing of the nations drawn back. How do we respond to this? Let me give you two responses. First is a very practical response, a very practical response, something that we can do. We have 11 global missionaries that we support at Church of the Resurrection. They're scattered all over the world, and they're doing some amazing stuff. I call it one of our best-kept secrets at Res. Not because it's just really a secret, but because we just, we don't talk about it a lot. And sometimes we can't talk about these people because they're kind of in dangerous places. Two years ago, we had no one in the Middle East until two women from our church started praying that God would open up the Middle East to us. Now we have two people working in the Middle East and others considering going. Some of you may go. Some of you may be moved to go. If you feel moved to go, Come and talk to me first before you decide on your plan because we've got a great global missions team. We'd love to meet with you, talk to you. Some of you can pray. I would think that maybe every single person in this church can pray for at least one missionary family in our church. And if you don't know who to pray for, come and talk to me. I'll give you the list. You can take your choice. I think every single one of us can pray for one of the missionaries that we support. Second thing is this. I call it, there's a, so there's a practical response. Then there's the, what I call the Magi response. Did you hear the Magi response in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9? So they came, and then it says, they're going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. The word treasure that was originally used is a word from which we get our word thesaurus. Now, you may not be a wordsmith, but a thesaurus is something that gives you like a treasury of words. So if you want to know a word for like action, it'll give you all the synonyms and antonyms for action. It's a treasury of words. So they opened the treasury in their heart and they brought it to Jesus because they found in him the end of the search for all of their longing for goodness and beauty. Remember that story of the Muslim man who said, my heart just melted and I invited Christ into my life. Remember that ad agency that said, they saw these things coming toward them, these beautiful lights, and they said, this is a beautiful thing. They were drawn to it. 
Remember, Jesus said, when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to me. I want me, I want us to be captivated by a story and by a person who is so good and so beautiful and so filled with truth and grace and truth and grace balanced together and so filled with power to forgive and redeem and save and renew us despite what we might be struggling with this morning, despite what sin we might have carried from last year into this year that we're trying to get rid of, despite the baggage and wounds, I want us to be captivated by the person of Jesus so that it will be so, we will be so drawn, we will be so open that I won't, I or the church or nobody will have to badger you or beat you to open your heart, but you will want to open the treasury in your heart. This new year, this Epiphany Sunday, as you come for the Eucharist, what a beautiful time to be drawn, to hear the voice of Jesus say, I am drawing you. I want to renew you. I want to forgive you. I want to use you to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.